Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. I'm from the lads at dailysportscience.com. I'm delighted this week we've got Owen Mooney. Uh, Owen, you're very welcome to come on. I've been trying to get you on for a little while. You've been on my radar. Uh, I think especially since the beginning of COVID period, you've been online doing a lot of webinars and presentations and everything. So thanks very much for, for coming on to our show. Thanks for having me, Kieran. Looking forward to it today for a little chat about um, play and my, my background and experiences. And hopefully somebody will take some away from it after listening. Exactly. Brilliant. Right. I'm going to go quickly through your profile because I think it's very interesting for people. I'm sure everyone in the GA world know who you are already, but I think it's interesting the way you've gone from different sport to different sport, different countries, different roles. And I think it's worth kind of just dipping into that. So at the moment, you're learning and games development coordinator for Dublin GA. And we'll get into that in a bit to chat about your current role. Also then, very interestingly, you're a PhD researcher at Leeds Beckett University in the area of play and sport. And again, I think I'm going to, I'm going to probe a little bit about the, the concept of play and the science around it and everything like that, which will be interesting. And obviously also, you host the iCoach I Kids podcast, at the moment, which is really interesting. And I've listened to a few episodes uh, just over the last number of weeks and months. And it's, it's been, I'm hoping it's really successful and it sounds great. Previously then as well, you were with Special Olympics Ireland um, as a national coach and sports development coordinator. And also you worked for Ulster GA and Ulster LGFA uh, while being in with Rocklands GA Club in New York. Um, fascinating. I think during that period was the first time that I really got got to know you online and everything um, and also I think I saw you as well in the GA National Games Development Conference which you spoke in 2011 and 2019. Okay before we jump into those things on just going to have a quick word about our sponsors and we'll get into discussion right after this. This episode is sponsored by RIPT. Uh, very kindly, I've come on board with us with dailysportscience.com. So RIPT is a coaching platform that connects performance coaches with their clients and athletes. It helps coaches program more effectively and efficiently and deliver individualized training plans to their clients and athletes via the RIPT app, which is ripped.app, ryptapp where they have the supportive exercise technique videos and other content. The platform streamlines the collection of workouts, well-being and training load data so coaches have all their data in one place and can quickly get the insights they need to optimize their performance and improve, improve results for their clients and athletes. Ross, we said we'd get serious this year. We tried to get Joe fit when he was involved with London. We hear he's got a new girlfriend in town, so it's time to get him fit. Yeah, and the RIPT app is perfect for that, Kiers, because he wouldn't listen to us over pen and paper, so we have to try and give him something electronically. So I think, Joe, your, your rehab's gone well and, and you're back running and, and, and playing, I think. I am, Ross, yeah. I'm back, I'm back playing there. I'm scoring points for uh, the local GAA club here, so it's all good. I see. Oh. Ross, I'm looking at him. He's got, his, he's got his London County Senior jersey on. So did, did you get the call up, Joe? You, you do know they're not training at the moment. I did, Karen. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was wondering where the other jersey went to. You know, the home jersey, the green jersey. I think you stole it. I think you stole it on me here and there with your, with your sta in your stag night. I got, 
<laughs> Yo, I got about five of those jerseys, so you know, don't worry about that. <laughs> anyway, RIP, so it's perfect for SC coaches working with private clients and, and teams and for gyms and online coaches. It gives coaches the flexibility to monitor, monitor performance in person with the gym mode dashboard and also fully remotely with the RIP app as well. Um, it has an online program sales platform, which is perfect for any uh, coaches who want to build their client base and also for teams as well. Joe, I hear that you're, you're, you're looking after your nutrition, a lot of um, Turkish and Mediterranean food. Absolutely, Kieran. You know, it's, it's the healthiest food that you can eat out there. Um, so, yeah, so I think Ross too. Ross is an, an Italian wife, so he knows all about the Mediterranean food as well. <laughs> yeah, as I said to you before, Joe, I'm not sure Turkey counts as Mediterranean. I'm not sure, half and half, but yeah, it's lovely food. You know, meats and, and the pizza and stuff, fantastic salad and lovely. Really nice. Lovely. Make sure you stick with the Turkish food then, Joe. Don't be, going, <laughs> don't be going looking at Spanish food or anything like that, okay? If you do, if you do, Joe, you've got an app, the RIPT app as well. You can upload nutritional information and stuff like that as well, which is perfect. Um, the guys with RIP, Cormac and the lads, they're working with Kerry GA with Swim Ireland and obviously with DSS, Daily Sports Science, we run the online coaching as well with RIP. So it's a brilliant app. Um, we're delighted to have them on board. Lads, they're coming, they've come on board with us. They're given two month free access to their service as well. Uh, so anybody who wants to use their service, just go over to dailysportscience.com forward slash pod. So pod, P-O-D, and you'll get information there. You can link in with the lads with Ripton and get uh, two months free access. We need, we need to pay the, pay the big wages of Ross, Joe, so it's, it's good. We can keep doing this, get Ross on board onto the podcast and keep him happy and, and obviously the, the, his wife and family happy as well. He's a, he's a hard man to pay, here, and I think the only man left in uh, England to be able to pay him would be Rishi Sunak. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Rishi. <laughs> okay, so thanks very much to, to Ripped uh, again for their support and make sure to head over to ripped.app or else go to dailysportscience.com forward slash pod. Thanks, guys. Okay, great. Let's jump in on... Um, there's a huge long profile there of previous jobs and, and uh, different roles in sports and everything like that. Do you want to just bring us up to speed as regards just a few of those roles and I suppose some of the main learnings you took from those roles and also some of the differences between the sports and differences even in from country to country? Again, thanks for having me on. Um, been supported, as I said before. Um, I started off with uh, also GA. I became a Department of Education um, physical literacy coach um, as part of their OCGA's program linked with the IFA. So it was a Department of Education program for to improve the confidence and self-esteem of the children in PE, as well as the confidence and self-esteem of the teachers taking PE. So although we were working for OCGA, um, we had signed links with the department themselves with the IFA. So in terms of our knowledge base was huge. We had six weeks of in-service before we went into schools with somebody you know very well yourself, Terence McWilliams. Uh, Young would have been um, overseeing that programme as well as Dermot Marsden at the start. Um, that programme, again, mainly in schools. So I was very fortunate to be based in my own county of Fermanagh. Um, 
my old primary school was one of my schools every Wednesday. So going into schools and we were working with 48 year old children and that was the main remit. Um, we would go in once a week, depending on the size of the school, the size of the classes, that would affect the number of classes and schools that you were able to go with. But again, we had um, a lot of autonomy in terms of um, what schools we would go to. And again, being based in Fermanagh, there's 26 maintained schools, so 26 Catholic schools. But because it was a Department of Education program, we obviously needed to link in with the controlled schools and the special needs as well. So uh, I would have been based in my own town, this is Casey Rowlands, but also in the Moat Primary School, um, which would be classed as a controlled so Protestant school. Um, very, very much in terms of going in about physical education, physical literacy, fun, enjoyment for the children. And not about promoting GA, not about promoting soccer or cricket or anything. We did all of the sports um, through the games, through um, different activities, different times of the year, so that whenever the children did want to go and try out a sport, that they would have those underlying fundamentals to try and play that sport. They obviously depend on the school. Some schools would want to um, promote GA more. Other schools, and the moat um, being one of the schools, the children were saying, well, um, can we do the hand pass or can we do hurling? Because there was a lot of um, obviously mixed marriages and the children were already down to the GA club, they played a lot of soccer, basketball. So their understanding of sport was um, much more advanced than I even thought. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to bring in for the Department of Education program was again, not to just be in schools, but it was to create that school club link so it's okay getting into schools and coaching the schools, but if the clubs don't know you're there, and if there is not that link to see what's happening in the school towards the club, uh, whether camps are coming up, what sessions are happening with under six and under eights, and again, we would have brought in, some of the clubs would have brought their coaches, their volunteer coaches to come and watch some of the sessions that we were doing. We would encourage that, and then we would go out into the clubs in the evening as well. So obviously we would have a little bit of coach education workshops around parent engagement, uh, club development plans, games development plans. So a whole huge myriad remit that we had, but the main focus was in the schools, the teachers and the children themselves. Great. Can, can I jump in, can I jump in there? Because I think that's really interesting because I spoke to a friend of mine, John Gaffey, who's a former Westmead fullback into county footballer. He's got young kids now, the age of you know six and seven, and his first experience of the actual coaching now is with that age age group of kids. And it, I think it's under seven, but it probably it's probably five year olds, six year olds, seven. And I remember I worked as well, similar like you, for Dublin GA back in the day. But it's interesting that somebody who's such high level in his own playing career probably doesn't know what to do with those kids of, of that age. Like, what are the kind of, what would you, what, what did you do with them? And is it a case of just doing this, the normal hand passing, kicking, catching skills? Or do you want to bring in extra play and different things involved into it? So again, where I am now compared to where I started with OCG in terms of the in-service is massive. So when we had all our in-service tenants uh, would have been uh, very much to the point of, listen, here's a task, here's a scenario, here's a problem, fix it. Um, you know, there's a child who finds it difficult to catch, so what are you going to do? How are you going to bring it back um, to make it a little bit easier? There's a child who is exceptional at 
you want to turn and change direction, so on and kick it, how are you going to make it harder for them? They're in the same class. Yeah. So the, the, um, the learning and obviously the physical um, capacity of the child within a class is huge. Yeah. And at that age group, it can be so difficult because they're, the language that you talk to them, what obviously with your friend with Westmead, his language as another county footballer is completely different when you're working with five and six and seven year olds. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's where I am at now. I very, very rarely will do workshops with eight, eight years and older, but most of the time I'm either working with four, five and six year olds all the time, or I'm working with adults. And there's, I can see similarities and obviously contradictions with both, but there's a lot that you can gain from being a parent or being able to talk to children and just let them at it. And again, yeah. it goes back to kind of the in-service that we had. One of the things that we were asked to do was just have a go. And that's one of the things that I always say is have a go at something. Put, your, put yourself in the situation of a child. Don't try and tell them everything. Tell them one thing. If you want to tell them anything, that's fine. But one of the things that one of the first lessons that I did um, and Terence actually came out to see some of the lessons was I was in uh, some areas in Newtown Butler and hugely uh, differentiation in terms of the children within the class and some children with special needs. So trying to um, make it inclusive for everybody was a challenge and a good challenge. But a lot of it was I would ask them what they wanted. Yeah. I would give them a ball and a couple of cones and a hoop. Okay, you tell me what you're going to do. How are you going to look at handling or how are you going to look at kicking? I don't care what you do, as long as you use your hands. So you'll have some of them hand passing, catching, rolling, holding the ball even, or just picking it up and setting it down. Yeah. That'll give you a good understanding of where they're at. Same as children and adults. If you ask them to think, okay, show me what you can do with the ball. A child at four years of age, an adult at 30 years of age, is going to do things that they're comfortable doing. Whereas if you say, I want you to do the hand pass today to a six-year-old, and it's like, what's the hand pass? I don't know what the hand pass is. Whereas if you say, here's a ball, show me what you can do. You might see the hand pass. Yeah. But without even realizing that you're getting an understanding of what they can do, so then you can either make it harder or you can make it easier, depending on where they are on, them, on that continuum. Yeah, I remember Jerry O'Connor and Brian Ladden up with Dublin J, who I know you know well. They had they had a great kind of saying of of just look through the eyes of the kids yeah. when you're coaching them because a lot of times people will come from playing adult sport and they'll think of in terms of an adult session of I mean drills and fitness and everything very structured. I mean your sessions with that age then that under sixes under under even and younger under sevens under eights is it chaotic is it mayhem are you are you working on physical literacy skills is it just basic motor skills how, how does it look for somebody who's who doesn't know so if anybody's kind of seen some of the workshops and webinars i've done i took a video when it was with Froplin and it was a video of roughly about 60 70 children in a hall in the local high school with parents and coaches and young coaches and older coaches in the one room. And it is complete organized chaos. I lost my voice 20 minutes into it. But the overarching theme of the video and of that session was handling. Again, I didn't care what they did, I didn't care what, what, how to use the ball, three things, as long as they're safe, 
as long as they're um, worried, watch where they're going. And number two, number three is as long as they're using the handle any way they want. Now that will be my overarching theme. And it's the same when I'm coaching the adult team. I have an overarching theme for a session, but I have an idea of what might happen. I have an idea as well of what I want to do. But 10 times out of 10, that be ripped up halfway through, especially when you're working with four, five, and six-year-olds. If you're coming to a session, and out, looks great on paper, and you, you're going to do A, B, C, D, and then you go to A and B, you want to get to C, but you, that's not happening. Do you go to C or do you stay at B? Or do you completely change the session and let them out? And the, what you're going to learn as a coach from being able to, as, as you said with Jared and the guys, look through the lens of the child. You know, how did you feel when you were that age? Um, you know, you were out there on my uh, confirmation registration for my PhD. I talk about um, what it was like for, for me and for you as well when we were younger, it was jumpers for gold. It started off 1v1 and half an hour to an hour later it was 20v20. Um, and how that made you feel and all the learning you were doing in terms of tactical awareness, social development, speech, language, physical development. But there's no adults, yeah. no children. And that's kind of where when you're thinking as a coach and the person in front of you is the be all end all. It's not the sport. It's not the skills. It's the person themselves. And what you want is for them to come back to your sessions. And if that's happening, they're enjoying your sessions. And then it's up to you. Like there's nothing to say that you can't have a structured session. But again, there has to be, there has to be an element where the child's voice is important. And again, I have a real issue with uh, adults telling children to play. Um, that really annoys me because it's a human right of a child to play. It shouldn't be up to adults to allow children to play. So, yeah. you know, but you get around it by asking them what they want. So there's Article 12. You're getting to understand what they want, what, they're, what they want to do. And then, okay, right, well, sure, we'll have a go with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, but again, not being afraid to do it. Now, the session might go completely off the wall. But again, if they're enjoying it, if they're being safe, which is very important, and they're learning, they just ask them a question. That's so important. And one of the things that, you know, what I want to focus on when I'm coaching, whether it's adults or children, is why. So what's your way? What's your own way? Why are you doing this session? Why are you work with that age group? Reflecting on that. But your session... How is your coaching session going to impact on the person, on the child, on the adult, whoever it is in front of you? And when you have that information, then you can go to the what. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, don't, I wouldn't go to the what first. I would yeah. go to the why and the who and the how. And then, okay, well, this is, I'm working with a group of four-year-olds. So I'll do a session with four-year-olds and I'll do the same session with an adult team. Yeah, yeah. But again, the, the concept is a little bit different. The rules may be a little bit different. I'll be able to you know, go a little bit more in depth in terms of tactical knowledge. But the principle of the actual game, the theme is very similar. It's nearly yeah. the same. Yeah, dude, there, was a there was a really good FA uh, coach education officer, and he's, he used to say to us, embrace the chaos. Oh, yes. Just with those kids, just don't be afraid of it being chaotic, that the more structured it is, probably the worse it is because if you think about it if you have a group of very young kids if they're 15 by right there should be 15 balls shouldn't there in the air catching kicking rolling whatever it is and and 
I think that's a good place to start, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And again, that, this is where I'm a, um, it's a little bit of a contradiction for me. Um, I love the chaos and I love organized chaos, but before a session and after a session, I hate chaos. <laughs> Everything has to be. Uh, all the guys who know me, all the guys who have, uh, who all the coaches who have worked, uh, who have worked with, and the players have worked with, it's colors have to be the same, uh, the cones have to be the same, and it has to be in a certain way. But the children, in fact, realizing it when I set the when I set the activity up, they tidy it, and then but they have to put things in order. So yeah. they're doing they're doing sequencing, they're doing you know they're learning through that as well. Mainly, it's for my own OCD more than anything. But um, when when a session is chaotic, the game is chaotic. So the session, like, and again, it goes back to the language. So um, the language that you talk to players about, or children, or adults, doesn't matter who it is, has to be made to the game. Yeah. So drills. If you want to drill, go to B and Q. That's all. Word drill does not mean A to B, me passing the care and care passing me. That's an activity. But then it has to be decision making within that. Yeah. Um, and whatever you're doing has to be, they have to make decisions. Yeah. It can't be boredom. It can't be um, making sure that, oh, I'm doing this because it looks good. I look good as a coach. And that's where probably a little bit of the lack of confidence might come from, especially with parent coaches and new coaches, especially coaching that age. You go to, and again, yourself, Kieran, I'm working with QPR and working in a different country and what I've seen in America is when the parents see the coach not staying within the lines and not doing A, B, C and D, they're like, what is he doing? But they don't realise that you know, the, the rationale of why you're doing it um, is underpinning for the learning and development of the child and the player. And that's one thing where parent engagement is extremely important. Yeah. Because you're able to give them a rationale, listen, you're going to see absolute chaos in the session. You're going to be wondering, is he okay? What does he do? But the overarching theme, the overarching uh, and, uh, objective that I want is within that session. It might be, I want to learn a different word. You know, they might be learning a different concept. It might be physical development. It might be making friends, trying yeah. to a new friend. But that's for the parents as well, because in that video I talked to you about, and I'll send it to you later on, you'll see parents stand at the side talking. Now, I had said to them before that, listen, if you see a new parent, if you don't want to get involved in the session with your child, that's fine. But you cannot stand in your own. You have to talk to somebody else that you don't know. So you're creating that community. You're creating that um, environment where the coach and the parent are working together to help the child. And the parent. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because it made me think, and I know he's your, your, your big mentor in your career, uh, Dr. Sergio Lara um, Bercial, and he spoke in on your podcast about that balance and that trade-off between giving the kids what they want and what they need. What need. Because uh, uh, can you speak a little bit about that? Because that's quite an interesting concept. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, for over 10 years, the first um, uh, contact that I had with him was, was with Ulster G and we've kind of kept in contact and my role with Ulster kind of accentuated that and to where we are now. But Sergio has always talked about, as you said, the needs and wants. So, you as a coach are looking after both the needs and the wants. But in terms of the game, the child and the player has needs to allow them to play the game to the best of their ability. However, their wants could be completely different to their needs. So their wants might be, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to play a defender today. I want to be a forward. That's fine. That's no problem. 
but then that's their want, but then that will link into their needs as well, that they need to be able to experience different positions, different roles as a coach, as a mini referee, etc. And then depending on what age group you're working with, their wants could be completely different. Um, I don't want to do this today. Um, I don't want to get involved today. Um, I, I, I don't want to play. Okay, that's, that's another issue separate. So I'd, I would um, not push that too much. Um, and the reason why is when I was in school, there was, I had a little fella, six weeks, he would sit out of a lesson, never did anything for the first six weeks. And I was constantly put jumping on if you want to get involved, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. When he seen his friends playing and enjoying themselves, I thought, okay, maybe he might come in next week. No, six weeks later, he just decides to start playing and he never looked back. So not putting them under that kind of pressure that this is, you have to do this because if you're six, you need to be able to, when you move up to underage, you need to be able to do A, B, C, D, you need to be able to pass, whatever it is. But again, you have late developers you have children who don't even like sport. They're just there because, number one, their mom or dad or guardian or whoever is bringing them is forcing them out the door, dragging them to the car, bringing them because uh, they might want to go for a coffee, my friend. That's fine. There's no issue with that. However, there has to be some kind of um, enjoyment for the child. And again, if they're coming to your session, even though the parent might be um, forced, them, you need to have a word with the parent, but also you need to Make sure that you're getting to know the child, not just the player, and ask them how they are. And some of them, again, the game might be too difficult for them, or they don't understand what you're asking them. And that's where allowing them to enjoy themselves and give them a ball and say, listen, have a go at this. Show me what you can do. Here's a friend. What, what games can you come up with? Yeah. How, can you, how can you come up with a game that's going to help me make you better? or yeah. help me enjoy this more than anything. And again, that needs at once is a difficult dynamic as a coach because you have a responsibility. If you're a, if you're a club coach in a sport, you have a responsibility obviously to teach them through the game, not teach the game to them. Um, yeah. And that's where the needs and wants um, marries a little bit better together because you're, you're getting them to enjoy the game. You're having them think about okay, well, I need to do this to be able to do this. But then you want them to make new friends. You want them to enjoy the game. You want them to get involved in the club, get involved in the community, understand new words, new concepts, new positions, new roles. So that's a difficult dynamic as well. And it's, it's you know, on the age group, your wants might be more important than the needs yeah. and vice versa. But again, even for adults, and again, Kieran, with your experience with, um, with London, et cetera, and with QPR, even elite players, their wants could be completely different to our needs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting as well because I, a lot of people who enter into coaching and they're novice coaches at the beginning, I always say to them, it goes back to my buddy John again, that you actually know far, far more than you think because the first instinct of somebody when you ask them to step off the sideline and give a hand with the young kids is that oh sure what do i know about coaching i know nothing but you you say to them well you know how to organize a group don't you or to set up something and you're a parent aren't you so you can facilitate you know when to push the kids a little bit to drive them well to come off them and it's like you say there that 
sometimes even if a child doesn't specifically want to do something in that moment, you might find a different way of engaging in them into the session. So I think they'll know far, far more than what they let on at, at the time or what they realize, I suppose. And that's a great way of putting it because like you know yourself, as a coach, you're yes, you want the players to improve and as a player, but as a person, you're building an environment, you're building a connection with the player, with the sport, with the community, with the club, whoever it is, you're building relationships. And as a parent, whether you're a parent or not, I'm not a parent, you know, you're a new parent, and congratulations again. <laughs> but that relationship and connection to yourself, um, to your family, to your friends so important when you're coaching you know when you don't have to know all the tactical or all the technical skills or physical fitness or anything like that if you have empathy if you are able to talk to people to relate to people to have people enjoy your company and you know to put yourself as you as we talked about earlier on to put yourself in the position of that player whether it's a child whether it's a 16 year old or whether it's somebody involved in recreational sport, you know, yeah. talk to them, um, make sure that they're okay, make sure that they're healthy for their own well-being. You know, you're building a social connection yeah. and an emotional connection. And sport is emotional. We're all emotional in terms of it, whether it's individual, whether it's physical activity, even it, it changes our whole mindset. Um, yeah. And whether they feel confident or not is a different story. But when you kind of put that to them, you don't ask, you don't get. If you if you ask them and say, "Listen, will you will you give a hand?" No, no, I don't want to. Next week, watch you. Will you will you give Karen a hand? Karen's doing a really difficult activity. Will you give him a hand? Just watch, just watch the children. He's on his own. Yeah. Take away. So then you're giving them a little bit more responsibility as we go on, and then yeah. a year down the line, they're as a head coach. So that's where you want to go. But again, not force them. Same as the children. Same as the players. Yeah. You know, not for them because a coach's needs and wants are very are very different and similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, but Dr. Brian Cuthbert said it nicely. Who who he wrote or was the main instigator of writing the report on talent development yeah. and identification and and development squads in the GA recently, and he said about um, getting keeping as many players involved in the system for as long as possible, and that's a great goal because your little player at under 12 may have fallen out of love with playing the game at the age of 18 or 19, but maybe they can be a secretary. Maybe they can be a treasurer. Like it's a lifelong engagement with the GA. And I think that's, that's a really good way of doing it. I want, I want to ask you about Rockland's GA because to me that resonated with me a lot because what I saw was a, an individual working in a GA club abroad, and in my case, London, your case in New York, and I saw a huge amount of energy em emanating from yourself and from the work that you were doing over there. Uh, for, first of all, how important is that where you bring energy into, not just the role, but for people who are just coaching their under 10 team or 12 team or something like that, how important is that? And secondly, I want to ask you a little bit about, I know you did help a lot of clubs with kind of strategic plans and kind of around governance and coaching structures and stuff like that. And I think that's quite interesting for people to listen to the importance of that and maybe some of the little things that you did to kind of facilitate that process. Um, I kind of get goosebumps um, anytime I talk about my time in Rockland. Um, it was 
I still can't believe I was over there in the ways and my my personality um you know would be very positive I'd be um, a little bit like a class clown sometimes and that's why I enjoy working with four and five year olds because you can tell them the sky is green and they go, no, it's not. Like, the sky is green and I was like, the sky is green really I said yeah I'm colorblind okay and then the bleeding then it's forgotten about and one of the things with Rocklin and kind of how it came about was by accident, but when it was there, everything that I had had experience of with Ulster GA, the support that I got with Ulster GA, as well as Ulster Ladies, when it was conned there, was a huge foundation for me because anything we tried in Rockland worked because we did it with Ulster. Yeah. Um, and Rockland had the capacity and had the support, not only for me, which was immense, and Again, can give goosebumps with all the people that helped me, um, all the people that helped my my now wife. Um, then no stone was left unturned in terms of what I wanted, what I got, and how they helped me along that journey. And we go back to a little bit about relationships and the environment, and it just clicked. Like when I was going over there, I was land. I mean, Kira landed over there the first of April for a week. But I had got the job before Christmas. So from Christmas until that April, I was basically double jobbing. And because of the time difference, I would come back from schools with um, G at about half four or five o'clock in the evening. That was only midday over there. So I would be doing a lot of communicating with um, the executive committee with Rockland GA, Joe McGurl, um, Niall McKenna, uh, Mark Comerford, um, all of those guys, Susan Keady, etc. And when I landed over there in April, all the people I'd been in communication with, I, I felt as if I knew them. Um, we were doing calls, I was doing calls with them every day over Facebook or whatever. So I'd built up a little bit of a mini community for myself. Um, and when I got there, they were in the middle of just finishing off the, the building. So the state-of-the-art clubhouse. And <laughs> people don't really believe me sometimes, but when I was at home, and up until kind of last year, I could turn on the TVs and the floodlights of the clubhouse from Ireland or anywhere in the world. It was great. Nice. Been done as well with um, Anne Gibson, who worked in the bar. But again, it was that community aspect. And the difference I found was compared to home was because of GA clubs here, and it's it's been people you've grown up with and you know them so well. Whereas, and you would know this as well, being in a different country involving the GA, I would class it more of a community aspect because of the amount of diverse range of people coming from different parts to that one club. Um, what we tried to do in Rockland, again, from the support that we had, that I had got, plus the work we had done with Ulster GA, and I knew, listen, we'll have a go and we'll see if it works. We'll throw mud at the wall and see if it sticks. And nine times out of ten, it did stick. But it was because of everything that the club stood for. Um, they were a community-based club, like every other GA club, but because they had the clubs, because they had the facilities, because they had the pitches, the numbers of coaches, the numbers of children, I found it uh, difficult to not get involved in sessions at the start. Um, I took about six months, I stood back, watched what was happening, and just basically through the lens of the children and the coaches and everybody at the club. So then that fed in then to Put restrictions in place because there's no point of coming in going, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. 
you have to sit back six, eight months, get a feel for the club, get a feel for the people, and see where you can make a difference. Um, and one of the things that I found was the under sixes. Um, we were doing a great program, um, and I wanted to get involved in it. The club said no, um, because I was warned that I wasn't going to get involved in any teams. So I had to work it around a little bit different and say, okay, well, the under sixes are not a team. They're a mini crowd of lunatics. Um, and they're not a team. They're a group. They're a fun group. They're, um, they're goblins and they're giants and they're wizards. And, and they're like, what? I said, listen, it's the foundation stage. So I had to put a presentation together about why I wanted to get involved with it. I said, listen, I'm not being involved in any teams. I would do workshops with every single age group. I'll put structures in place, that's fine. But one age group I was involved with would be under sixes because I got to meet the parents when they first came in. And I got to know the parents. I got to know the children. So when they went up through, um, through the age groups, I had again build that community, build that environment for them. That I was there for them if they needed me, and that was that was huge. And that was the biggest structure that we we wanted to put in because we wanted to convert a band of players, and the club already had that. But we wanted to convert a band of coaches and parents mm. working the way through. And the Rockland again. People will ask me, they'll ask you as well, Kieran, should you stay with an age group or should you work your way up? Mm. And I say, listen, it depends on the context. Yeah. And in America, it's very much, you start with under sixes, you work your way up to U18s and then senior. So yeah. you have that comparable. And again, yeah. it's about putting those structures in place. Yeah. Okay, well, when you're moving up the age groups, here are some KPIs that you should be thinking about with under sixes, what our focus should be on under eights. But there's an overlaying, or sorry, an overarching theme throughout every structure that we did was three things, was participation, again, and that included uh, participation, increasing number of players, but coaches and administration and getting more women involved in the club, more women involved in the executive committee, and that worked. Yeah. Second thing, again, was providing games. So we, we were, at Rockland, we were having, we had obviously the New York um, minor board games, but one session a week would be practice. And again, this goes back to language. I didn't like training. I don't like the word training. I've got a new dog and I train a dog. I train a player. Um, players practice. And again, depending on what you do with them, they practice. So whether it's deliberate practice or deliberate play, whatever yeah. you want to go about. Um, so we were practicing on one evening. The second evening had to be games. Didn't matter who was there. You pick the teams, you play games. No rules, no none, just normal games, no coaching, watch the games, change the teams, see what happens. They play the, the game at the weekend, the structured game with the New York minor board, and then your next coaching session is related to what you've seen in the games, the internal games, or what you see in the competitive games. And I can tell you one thing, the internal games that our guys had, boys and girls, were more competitive than the games they were playing against in Barnabas and Brandon's and all the other clubs in New York because they had the numbers, the, the teams were mixed, they were competitive games, but they were competitive in terms of the score. It was one point in it, there were two points in it, there the last minute goal to win it. And like, there was players at under 10 who were basically shouting at each other, saying, give a bad pass. And then it was a case of bringing them back, saying, listen, and it happened once, and I, um, there was one lady and a good friend of mine, who came to Nature's wedding from New York. Her name is Tina Murphy, and her son was involved in one of these spats that I'll call it. Mm -hmm. 
you would be listening. So I've got permission to use her name all the time when I do in every webinar. I do her son and her and her son, her father, and every single presentation I do. But um, her and her husband was there, and they said, "Listen, have a word, have a word." Okay, so brought the two lads over, and basically were annoyed at each other because one of them had given a bad pass, which gave the other team a chance to score a goal. The other team won by a point, so they started started kind of going at each other. And just by pure accident, they were, came over to me and they were wearing their uh, Rockland t-shirts. So it was green. So they were green, yellow, blue, orange. And they were all put in different t-shirts for the entire games. But they had Rockland summer camp stuff underneath. I thought, okay, lads. So at the weekend, love the way you're so competitive, which is great. However, this is not about winning an uh, entire game. This is about you being friends with each other, not only at under 10s, but all the way up to adult. What are you wearing under that t-shirt? What? So what are you wearing under the t-shirt? So got them t shirt and both were wearing uh, Rockland GA halves. And he said, that's the reason why you should shake hands and you know, make sure that you support each other no matter what happens. Yeah. And it was a case of, oh, okay. Now Tina <laughs> and John, they could have done that no problem, but I had known the lads really well down the under eight group from when I first went there. They were one of the first groups I had worked with. They're now going up to under 12. And the, the change that I've seen in them, but not only me, Kira, Kira came back the following September after the April and she said, oh, that's the under 10 team, is it? I said, no, that's the under eight that you've seen the very first week. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because of they were getting games, they were playing matches, they weren't doing drills, you know, yeah. the word drills, they weren't doing straight line activities, they were playing games, they were given a problem, they were given a scenario, how are you going to fix it? Yeah. And they were asked, and a lot of them at the CYC were asked at halftime, the team talk was, listen lads, you decide what happens, you fix things, what are we going to do better in the second half, you decide. And Steve Kerr, again, go and say Warriors, he does that with his players, but you can do that with under eights and under tens. Of course you so can. Give them a scenario and trust them. And if it yeah. works, it works. If not, then that's where your coaching comes in, in terms yeah. of being more specific about what you want. It's a good it's a good point you make about the structures because I think I had something similar of, a, of uh, an experience with Temple Oak Sing Street for Dublin GA um, back in 2008 or so, to 2011, where I think if you, were, if you get in at a young age, and in terms of, even aside from the players, which you... you, you very eloquently spoke about, but about the coaches, about the parents and the coaches. And if their first experience of the club is a young, or maybe not so young, energetic coach who maybe knows a little bit about what they're talking about, but has passion for the game and wants to implement structures, it gives them a very good idea and experience of the club right from the very beginning. And I think they can, you can build a lot of loyalty amongst those people. And like ultimately what you want is that when you leave, because you will leave at some stage, that the structures remain in place, isn't it? And those people who came in at the beginning just as a helper, they're the ones maybe who might go on to be chairperson of the youth committee or whatever it is in some sort of way. And that's kind of where whenever I got to Rockland and having sat back for those six and eight months and 
you know, a few workshops, but I wasn't involved in, I was involved in meetings, I'd go and watch meet people, but it wasn't putting across my point of view or where we should go with this. I give them full ownership, full responsibility, done facilitated workshops, etc. cetera, mm. put everything together and it was them that came up with it. Yeah. But understanding it had to be sustainable and making sure that the club was sustainable before I got there. Mm. Like they had the facilities, they had the players, they had the capacity, they had the support. It was just a little bit of a, um, uh, preparing against the child, preparing the path yeah. um, for preparing the club for the path rather than telling them what to do, preparing the path for the club. Yeah. And making sure that they understood why they're doing it and not not trying to do seven, eight, nine, ten things, do three things really well. Listen, we'll move on. And the same as the, the school program that I had in Rockland was asked to go to so many different schools. I was only in one school. We did it so well. Yeah. We created a, an environment there, that school club link. But again, small steps, making sure that you do things right, that whenever you do leave, as you said, you yeah. it is sustainable. People can take it on because it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's just a matter of having confidence, understanding the why and the how, yeah. and then thinking about, okay, well, what can we do then? Yeah, and that's that's an that's a kind of an informal strategic development of the club in terms of the structures you individually put in place. Did did you get an opportunity then to actually sit down with the stakeholders and actually facilitate the process then? And and what were the steps that were involved? Yeah, so um, and again, this is from my work with also G and also ladies, and we had so much experience of going into clubs and helping clubs with. Not only games development structures, but had them the finance and community structures the way it first started. And you'd have been the same with Temple Oak with Dublin yeah. as well. Yeah. One of the things that we kind of wanted to do was I had remit. So I had six areas in my remit. And what I specifically wanted to do was there was two or three areas that kind of fed into each other. So what I wanted to do then was to make sure that whenever we were facilitating the workshops, that it was specific to the club's needs. But again, I was very conscious of telling them what I saw. I wanted them to come up with it. Um, and again, with, with, with a lot of clubs in New York, it's Gaelic football, hurling, rounders, handball sometimes, but also camogie and ladies football. And the amount of people that didn't understand that camogie and ladies football was a different entity in Ireland, did, they couldn't understand that because they were so engraved, so entrenched in the structure of the club that they weren't separate. And which yeah. is just right in terms of getting more women involved in the, in the club in terms of the executive committee and stuff. So what it, what it done was, and they all had different needs and they all had different issues, they all had different challenges. So I wanted them to help each other out as well. And that was the, probably the most challenging in terms of not telling them, setting the scene, giving them an example of, okay, well, here's where we are. Well, what can we do then? Where can we go from this? So doing your SWOT analysis. Yeah. Again, I wanted them to go really in depth. And again, this is this is about the trust element as well. You know, I wanted them to be harsh um, in terms of not only themselves and their teams, but me as well. I'm a big boy. I can take it. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, you're not going. Things aren't not going to work the way all the time. So you're going to have challenges. Things aren't going to work. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's where you're going to learn. Same with players. You're going to make mistakes, but that's where you learn. But can you reflect on that? Can you think about, okay, well, we tried to do this. I'm not sure it worked. 
okay, well, why didn't it work? How can we change it? And what are we going to put in place to help us achieve that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, trying to get them to reflect in that way was difficult, not only for those sessions, but also trying to do it for their coaching as well. Mm. Um, instead of saying, oh, how did the session go? And like, again, you as a coach developer, me as a coach developer, when you sit down with a, with a coach and say, how did that go? The first thing, seven times out of 10, it's a negative. Yeah. Straight away. <clears throat> oh, I'm not sure about that. I shouldn't have done that. No, no, no. What's the positive? What went well for you? Oh, I shouldn't. No, no, no. What went well for you? True. So trying, trying to get the positive out of people can be very difficult. Get the negative can be really, really easy. Um, <laughs> I want to kind of, a little bit of carrot and stick needs and wants, you know? So, yeah. okay, well, here's what we need. Here's what we want. And then how can we marry those together a little bit? Not only for the players, but for the club as a whole. Very good, very good. I, it's, it's, I tell you, it's not only those people who come out with the negatives about their performances and what, how things are going. I had the same with London when I asked a player, you know, how did you, okay, what do you think of that? How did you, do you think you played? Well, I missed this chance and then I gave away that ball and then I didn't track that man. I'm saying, okay, great. Areas of development, fantastic. What did you do well? And yeah, it would take maybe two or three questions. I read a, a really interesting article uh, the last couple of days by um, Dr. Anthony Turner, and that was it was bring it was about a high performance model for sport. And and what I'll do is I'll upload it onto the to the website for people in the journal articles area. And in part, they took aspects of a business um, concept of VMOST, and that was st- stood for. Uh, vision, mission, objectives, um, uh, uh, objectives, uh, strategy, and tactics. And it broke down, you know, about, okay, well, what, how do you build a vision? How do you develop your mission? Uh, how do you set out your aims and objectives? How do you, what is culture? You know, we hear so much about core yeah. values and culture. Very, very interesting. And I, I like the way you took your SWOT analysis, because I think there's a lot of good concepts in business that you can apply into high performance sport, the very same. Okay, we we keep we keep cracking on because we'll be here all night with there's so many <laughs> stuff to chat about. Uh, um, I want to ju- just to briefly touch on um, with the Special Olympics Ireland. So so you were with Special Olympics um, a, a relatively short time ago. So you were national coach and sports development coordinator. I'm guessing because I, I myself I had a little bit of experience of working with some people in 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 Dublin um, a few years ago. I'm guessing it was a very, very interesting role, a good opportunity to work with people. And I mean, you get a lot, of, you get a lot back, don't you? You get a lot of joy in situations like that. Um, the, only, the only thing about the role was I wasn't in it long enough. Yeah. Um, it was very similar to Rockland in terms of, I was in the role about eight months and probably six or seven of those months I was getting to know how things worked, kind of taking a back step in terms of what was happening, how in terms of my own learnings, um, how the organization worked, and again, how different it was in terms of my experience in New York, with Ulster G, et cetera, as well. Um, but again, as you said, the role was um, extremely interesting. And again, the people involved with Special Olympics and the clubs and the volunteers, the coaches and the athletes themselves, like it, it's it's a phenomenal organization and it's an organization that does not get the help that it should get. Um, mm. uh, they can't stop now um, and I would encourage people to go on to Special Olympics Ireland and 
donate. Um, they're trying to raise money because they can't do their normal fundraising because of the situation, the restrictions that we're in. Yeah. The work that they do, not only in terms of sport, but in terms of health, um, Healthy Athlete Programme that Coach Donnelly would be involved with is wonderful. It's a fantastic organisation. My own reasons for um, joining it was I had actually applied for it when I was in New York before I got home. Um, I didn't hear anything back from it and then the job came up again. I was at home. Um, I'd been at home for six weeks. My wife had got a job. She was in New York. Uh, We were kind of coming and going for about 18 months and then she got a four-year career break however her four-year career break lasted seven months when <laughs> so, um, we were getting married that summer so i decided to move back home that works really supportive they were wonderful um, and i was doing workshops all over the country for clubs just kind of keeping the car on the road really yeah. curious mom and dad yeah so the next job came up i went for um, an interview and you know when you kind of have a really good feeling about people and a really good feeling about an organization, you're like, oh my God, you walk out of it and you're like, um, I want to work here. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I felt. Um, uh, Maria and Karen Coventry, the director of Special Olympics, it didn't feel like an interview, it felt like a chat, um, which again, just said everything about the organization, you know, the, their building relationships and making sure that, you know, they get the right people involved. and. Whenever I was there, and again, I was involved in so many things, and they assist me in terms of my PhD. They give me time off to go across. They were extremely supportive in that end. Um, however, in terms of my own learning and development, um, I knew probably at some stage I would go back to the GA. I didn't think it would be as soon, in yeah. fairness. And again, you know yourself, GA jobs, you know, like, yeah. things. Um, but I did in service with the Dublin staff, um, kind of just before actually you did your workshop last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went for the job and was very fortunate to get it. Um, but again, the support that I got from Special Olympics when I got the job with Dublin, um, in terms of my working out my notice, like they are a phenomenal organisation. And the role was very interesting because it was a new role and it was a role that I was really enjoying getting my teeth into. And I'd only really started getting my teeth into it when I left, um, yeah. which yeah. is the disappointing aspect in terms of my own learning and development. Yeah. Um, but again, those reflections has have improved, or sorry, have made me more aware of my what my reflection from my PhD and my reflections and my relationships and how I talk to people. And yeah, you know, that experience of Special Olympics is something that I'll always um, be very grateful for because. You know, only for them, you know. Yeah. I don't know where it would be right now. Um, yeah, working at home, so I have to thank them a lot. Karen Coventry, uh, Coach, um, Donnelly as well. Um, yeah. Juan and um, you know, and Elaine, Elaine Toomey was fantastic whenever I was there too. So and everybody there, but again, uh, I knew you know where I wanted to go, and that again was very difficult, kind of thinking about that and then moving on. Um, whereas when I was with Ulster, I was ready to move. Yeah. Rockland was a little bit different. Um, I was coming home, you know, because I had my, I had my fun in New York. Yeah, yeah. It was Kieran's choice. She had got a really good job, a yeah. dream job. So it was now her turn. Whereas the Special Olympics, 
um, was a little bit different and it was it was I was ready but it wasn't if you know what I mean I would have loved to have been another year there if I had yeah. of, um, in terms of my own learnings and yeah. learned about business like the amount of business um, plans and funding applications and stuff that I kind of had a little bit of experience of in New York etc but you know in terms of uh, government funding and making sure that everything is um, there is um, kind of responsibility who's responsible in terms of budgets was phenomenal for me yeah um, so great organization and again um, the work they do in terms of inclusiveness and helping athletes and helping sport and communities and um, with people who have um, varying abilities uh, is huge yeah no it's it's a good point i always tell people whenever they ask about advice to young coaches or people wanting to get into sports science or coaching or whatever domain within the sports is to get out there and get experience you don't need a degree you don't need a master's and accreditation like get out at a young age age 16 17 18 whatever it is into your 20s and i would always recommend as well that like work with your elite and sports people but also work with the non-elite work with adults work with kids I mean, I learned so much with Dublin GA working with little four-year-olds and five-year-olds, you know, like you uh, were saying in the foundation phase or the, the nursery or whatever, academy, whatever you want to call it, but also then work with people with physical impairments, with mental impairments, with able body. I did a little bit of work in the Wormwood Scrub prison over here in London. And again, nice. you know, you get to experience a different thing. So all across the whole range of people. I, I want to quickly just move on then. So your current role with, uh, as um, learning and games development coordinator with Dublin. Now I want to ask you something specific because I know coaches <laughs> will want to know. A lot has been made, obviously, of what has Jim Gavin done? What has Desi Farr done? Uh, Pat Gilroy, et cetera, on the senior side. I'm interested and have some experience myself going back years, but current uh, phase. What are so, like what are the crumbs of success that they've left behind at underage and also in terms of that kind of the stuff that you're involved in, the learning, the coach development, uh, the games development coordination. I know, I know Jerry O'Connor is bloody too good and he's, you know, helping to churn out coaches and young players and everything like that. But can you speak a little bit just about some of those kind of evidence of success that you see from more of an underage rather than at senior? Hi, uh, so people who kind of know me and know my role with WGA, I started a job three weeks before lockdown happened. <laughs> um, I'm kind of getting to know the organisation from afar a little bit. Um, I haven't been, been in the office in Parnell Park, I'm based in Parnell Park um, at the start and then I've been doing in service with the GPOs, the Games Promotion Officers within the clubs, but what Dublin have, and again, why I wanted to join Dublin GA was go back to Ulster GA, go back to Ulster Ladies and especially Rockland. The Ulster element was uh, the structures that Ulster had in terms of staff, in terms of capacity, in terms of support. Rockland then you go to from a province then to a club but again, has capacity, coaches, players, has support, and you're adding value um, to what they have, and hopefully you know, you're at, they're adding value to you as well, this is your own area. Yeah. And Dublin is, is kind of an area 
um, that you know, people don't understand as much as they should and see what happens in the press and they see this and that and whatever else. But when you actually go down in terms of the capacity of Dublin, yes, it's bigger, which is fine. That's fine. And again, in terms of their structures, it means then that you need more support. So you're talking about the clubs, the staff, um, volunteer coaches, players, etc. But it's the whole dynamic of why they're doing it. And it's not just about, again, what people see the five in a row. It's below that. Yeah. It's the nursery programs. It's the nursery numbers. And it's, you know, it's that building that huge capacity so that there is a conveyor belt of players coming through the whole time. But there is a conveyor belt of coaches coming through the whole time. And yes, they have more players, more clubs, more coaches than anybody in Ireland and in the GEA family throughout the world, etc. But again, it's what they, how they put things in place and the fact that they're willing to try things. You know, and again, they can try things because they have that capacity and support. Yeah, yeah. So it does make things, and you would know this here yourself, have yeah. more clubs, you, it makes things a little bit easier because you're not worried about, you know, there is some clubs who struggle with their numbers. And yeah, yeah. But they have that support in the background, whether it's through the club, through the coaching assistants, through the games promotion officers, up to the RDOs, um, throughout with Jerry O'Connor's director of coaching and games, and then uh, John Costello as um, CEO. But then you have uh, Stevie, Stevie, uh, development officer, and um, you know you have the hurling development officers. You have uh, Damien with the fixtures. It's finance. It's a huge, huge undertaking. But again, it's the one premise is, listen, to make Dublin as good as they can be, not only for the players, which is, yes, that's the need and that's what everybody wants. Yeah. But you want to build communities and you want to build people and you want to make sure yeah. that they're happy and they have a program of games, whether that's through the CCC1 or CCC2, or whether that's through the internal games in the club. And my role, again, I'm trying to learn my role a little bit because of the COVID. And, um, my role is and support the games motion officers and the RDOs as much as I can in terms of coach education workshops, assist chair in terms of research and resources. And that's where my PhD comes in. So in terms of yeah. Special Olympics, my PhD, what I'm, where, where I'm working now is more related to where the PhD is going to go. And that was a big element of why it came to join Dublin, um, was having that uh, not as much as of a detachment from work to study. Um, and again, in terms of my role with Dublin, I get I have a lot of autonomy, which suits me. Um, I like to try new things. Jer and Dublin like to try new things. Um, there's trust there. There's the environment, the relationships are there, and um, that element is very much beneficial to me myself. Being selfish because I had that in Rockland, I could come home with Rockland. I was at home for six weeks working from home. Yeah. Turning everything on, turn turn the lights off, and um, when it was in Galway, mm. in, in New York, so that element of the freedom and the autonomy, but the trust element and that environment is huge. The staff, the PPOs that we have, and the games motion officers that we have, and again, when you have experience of games motion officers, the people that are there now. The people who have been there, Dublin support, they love people, seeing people move on to bigger and better things, just like Ulster did, just like Rockland did. You know, and that element as well, very important that 
in terms of staff development and staff well-being. And that's one thing Jer wanted to bring into stake in terms of um, our recent um, in-service with the GPOs. So normally, as you know yourself, you do in-service uh, uh, with everybody on one day. But that's because of COVID, we had to break it up into four days. But there was an element of their well-being. So how they were feeling, how, um, how they were feeling during lockdown, during the restrictions, how it was affecting them. So that area of not only the staff member and the employee, but the person. And again, yeah. it comes back full circle. You know, it's the person in front of you. Mm. It's not what they can do. It's not who they are. It's, you know, how, how are they going to help you? How are you going to help them and build that relationship? And build yeah. That relationship? I, yeah, I think it's great because uh, all the evidence from the reports about high performance mm -hmm. teams and organizations, you'll see trails of an evidence of um, high autonomy, uh, high level of trust, mm -hmm. high creativity levels, and also um, ability and willingness and allowance for risk taking. And if you think of it, if you think of, you know, the best, uh, the best teams, the best organizations, and I would include Dublin in this, all those things are coming together. And my experience like yours is that they have created that environment, that culture, uh, to allow their the work workers and their staff to actually do those things, and it takes—I mean, it takes time. But I suppose the first thing they've done, and which you would recommend to all all other counties, really, just cop copy their program, is get in the right people, get in the good people, get in the Jerry O'Connors and and the other you know young and up and coming people who are following him in his in his wake. Um, get the people in, and then you can obviously build the capacity to as much as, as you can. Um, you talked about earlier, like the way you mentioned um, risk taking. Again, it goes back nearly full circle in terms of what we talked about earlier on play. You know, risk taking through play, through giving them autonomy, through giving the children autonomy, asking them questions, that's a risk. Getting them to climb on the sofa, getting them to climb trees, that's a risk. Yeah. But they'll learn through that and again as a staff member you'll learn through that you'll learn okay i'll do that a little bit different next time yeah again reflections are so important and, and asking the children how they feel can be their own reflection yeah. asking a staff member how they're feeling or how that went for them they'll be able to go into a little bit more detail but the overarching theme is very similar it's getting yeah. them to think okay well how how do we do that why do we do it and thinking, well, okay this is what we're going to do next yeah trying to improve things yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll take a really quick break and we'll come back and chat about uh, your PhD and about the science of play. We won't keep you too long. Um, we'll just have a quick word about the services on offer at, on dailysportscience.com at the moment. If you don't want to listen to Joe and, and Ross spouting about stuff with myself, switch off now. I'm only joking, don't switch off now. Um, I would recommend as well, Owen, you have at least one blog post or maybe a second mm -hmm. up on the website. Yes, exactly. So I would recommend anybody um, go and take a look at that on, on the blog post and some great stuff. And, and I must, we must get you on to, to, to write up an article about your PhD work as well. I think it'd be really interesting. Okay. So we just take a quick break. Uh, now and we'll see you in a second. The Locker Room Podcast is brought to you by dailysportscience.com, an online elite coaching and sports science service, membership service. Uh, you can search all the information and services over at dailysportscience.com. 
you'll see everything over there. I'm here with Ross and Joe. Lads, there's loads of stuff going on at the moment. Ross, you we'll run through really quick. Ross, you've got a really interesting off-season coaches CPD series, video series for the members. Yeah, yeah, really good kids. So six-part um, uh, presentation, six-part presentation, six different topics that are kind of out there on social media and stuff and I'm kind of let's say doing three to four of them and, and you guys are taking the baton on that so really good so far we've had two released based on the individual training session and periodization uh, recorded one recently around developing the individual player we've got one around the physical corner and then you guys are taking over the tactical side and also the environment and culture so really good um, opportunity especially with things going on in Ireland at the minute to learn and and keep sharing information so really enjoyed that really good feedback um, and they'll be released throughout the next six weeks. Great stuff, Joe. There's loads of Gaelic football and hurling practices going up as well. Yeah, there is, Kieran. Uh, every every week there's uh, there are Gaelic uh, practices going up, <clears throat> and I know that Ross talked about. Um, I think I'm doing CPD session four, which is how to set up a team tactically. So um, uh, I'm putting up uh, some kickouts there, for instance, and some uh, defensive structures that coaches can kind of get get used to in the off season and plan plan to bring in maybe maybe next season. So yeah, lots of stuff there uh, coming up on the website in terms of practices. Good stuff. We've got an off-season uh, GA program as well in terms of gym program and fitness and running program as well, uh, designed by Ben Smalley, our sports scientist as well, um, and overlooked by Ross as well, head of performance. So that's really good for all members. So they're all exclusive members. The last two things to mention then is the locker room webinar series, which is closed for exclusive for our DSS members. So that's every second Monday night, we bring on an expert to do a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation through Zoom. Everyone can dial in live and then ask some questions as well. It's been really popular and it's, it's a brilliant new initiative. We're always coming up with these new initiatives. The last thing then to mention is the buddy referral scheme. So that's where a member can uh, send, it, send a referral to their friend the friend will get 25% off the sign-up fee and then the person, the member, will get access to one of the GA positional profile videos. So, Ross, we did them over the last few weeks. I think there's some good content there. Class content. I think it's a great initiative. Instead of just, you know, normally the person who refers someone doesn't get anything and the, the new member gets whatever the offer is. But this stuff is gold dust, in my opinion. You know, you get info on what uh, each position essential is and what you're looking for for each player and how to coach it. So it gives you real good information on, on developing the individual players in your team. Yeah, exactly. And remember, for members, it's less than 15 quid a month. Ross, that's less than a Ross Bennett haircut once a month to cut back those golden locks. And less than, I think the book I wrote four years ago still hasn't creeped up to 15 quid. So <laughs> you're getting so much for that, for sure. Yeah, and this hair, I only get a haircut once a year, Keir. So 15 pounds a year is not bad, I don't think. Yeah, the girls in the house here, Ross, they just said, what is the point in Ross Bennett if he doesn't have long, flowing, blonde hair? They get disappointed exactly. when it's cut. I know, it's, it's coming back. It's coming back. <laughs> so yeah, the book, so for the price of Ross Bennett's book, which you should all go out and, and buy, I've forgotten the name of it now at the moment. But... I can tell you, kids, in injury <laughs> prevention and rehabilitation. Now, we never knew I was going to plug that on here, but I need <laughs> Christmas is coming up. I need some sales. Christmas is coming. I've got two copies of them here, Ross, so we can maybe we can sell that off secondhand to Joe. He might, yeah, he might be able to use it. You need them for the doorstop in those heavy doors of yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joe, I was just about to say that you, you'd need... Um, you'd need a, a few quid for the online dating, but the, your, those days are over for you. Uh, yeah, I think they are, Kieran. <laughs> Hopefully. 
<laughs> Hopefully. Good to hear it. Good he tried to, hear. to keep it quiet, but those weekends in the New Forest, we knew you wasn't going on your own, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was dodgy. It was dodgy. 15 quid, Joe, per month. Not much. Yeah. Yeah, 15 quid a month, yeah. I've, I've had a look at, uh, I think, four or five of the positions and I've never, ever seen, uh, you know, uh, as much detail in terms of the different positions in, in football, in Gaelic football, broken down into so much detail. So there's lots of, uh, as Ross said, it's gold dust. There's lots of great learning points there for coaches yeah. and managers. Great, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, uh, enjoy the rest of the episode, everybody. The podcast, remember, dailysportscience.com and head over... Um, we've actually started a new offer for listeners to the podcast. So just use pod 20 as a voucher code to sign up membership and you get 20% off as well. So for any new members out there or relapse members, just use pod 20 and you get 20% off membership. A good time, as the lads say, Ross was saying with all the new CPD and everything. So a good time to join up. Okay, enjoy. Okay, well, welcome back. Owen, we, we, we have to get on to a little bit, and as I say, we won't keep you too long, but I want to chat to you a little bit um, about I Coach Kids and your PhD. And I, I heard uh, Dr. Sergio again, the founder, or I think the founder, but you'll tell me more, um, called it a, a global not-for-profit movement that aims to support children's coaches from around the world, or maybe they, even they were your words. Um, and he spoke a lot about a child centre approach and, and everything like that. Can you speak a little bit about what iCoach Kids is as an organisation? How people can either get involved or maybe use the resources because there's some brilliant resources out there, including your podcast. Um, and also then leading on a little bit into your PhD work about um, the power of play. Well, the iCoach Kids um, programme and again, to get better, even to tell you, it started um, with uh, a relationship with Sport Ireland, um, Sport and I, and Sport Scotland. So, Leeds Beckett, um, were, and there was research put out in terms of uh, coaching children. And the first thing that came out of it was the Sport Ireland um, coaching children workshops. So that was a little bit of a tester in terms of the lit review, the research. Um, understand well why would we do this for children and the, the four different workshops um, that are available um, for people to download on the Sport Ireland website but also as face-to-face workshops that will be available to now so they're yeah. not happening as much as they should be happening um, so then that lent itself then whenever that happened to the iCoach kids so it was born out of that um, workshop those workshops with Sport Ireland um, so Sheila and Declan um, with Sport Ireland would have been heavily involved in that, as well as Sergio, Michael, Mickey Hill, and Hayley Harris, and everybody else. Um, fantastic world of Sport Ireland coaching um, have helped me a lot in, in terms of my own journey. My own kind of um, relationship with Ico's kids, again, it was Sergio. So Sergio has a thread. You pull the thread of Sergio and the one really together, and a lot comes out. <laughs> back to 2009 but my role with Rockland and um, the second Echoes Kids Conference um, was happening in Leeds Beckett University um, I was actually uh, at home for four weeks and then I was heading back um, for the start of the fall season so around about the end of August start of September and then I was like okay listen we're going to go on holidays again when I got over there so myself and Sarah we went uh, to Perez somewhere really nice came back 
and within that, Sergio would ask me would I get involved and would I um, present at the conference in Leeds? And I said yes straight away. And then I said, okay, well, I better put this to Rockland. Um, so they were great. Um, they, I actually had a meeting whenever I was coming back. So uh, the way it worked out, I flew back, uh, had the meeting with Rockland the next day, and then flew to Leeds. <laughs> so a little bit of a whistle stop tour. I had a, it was a theory workshop. Again, just more or less on, in terms of my coaching with Ulster GA, Rockland, coaching children, etc. Um, using the puppets that you see behind me yeah, and yeah, yeah, a, few yeah. other, a few other things that I've used before um, and Sergio has seen plenty of times so that was great and then from that then um, I was asked to speak at the GA National Conference um, up in New York at Mercy College etc so from that second I coach kids conference a lot has happened um, yeah. then I was involved in the third I coach kids conference um, and it was a practical workshop and again it was more around the area of uh, free play and the reason why I do free play watching this video in speech marks if you're not watching the video then no reason is that play shouldn't be free um, free play is not really free play because there's rules within the free play if that makes sense so I know that if me and Kieran are then together if I punch him in the nose that's not good so the free play element is don't put gear in the yeah. So be safe. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was the adults were coming. I said, listen, as soon as they came in, and again, it's getting the feel for the people who are there, same as the children, was having a go. So organized chaos, free play, come in, all the equipment is out. And this happened in all my lessons um, with Ulster GA. Depending on the age group, I could have the gear out. Some of the other age groups, I couldn't. Um, because if I had the year out, they would be completely dead. Yeah, yeah. Again, you have to know your players, know your children, know the group that you're working with. But again, they're adults, so I'm taking it for granted. And I'm assuming, you never assume, but I'm assuming that they're going to behave themselves. Yeah. Didn't happen. Um, <laughs> didn't happen. So there's big balls, and we're throwing the balls at each other. And they're like, that's fair enough. Three things happened. You play with the equipment if you want. If you didn't want to play the equipment, and talk to somebody that you don't know, get to know them. And if you didn't want to do that, just relax and chill out. Mm. Um, but everybody started playing. So that was the practical workshop. And then I was bringing it back to get them to make up their own games, but with what was in my head. And I wanted them to think, okay, well, here's, here's the theme that I'm giving you. What do you think the, the skill is or the tactical concept is in my head? And it was completely different because they thought in a different way to me, they understood the task different to me and it's the same with children you know because you understand it as a coach doesn't mean that a 30 year old or man or woman playing is going to understand it so yeah. again bringing it back to the looking through the lens of the person in front of you yeah so then um the i coach kids in terms of my the i coach kids podcast i turned a phd so I was coming back from New York, Sergio O'Neill was moving back, and I had seen that Leeds Beckett had put up about the doctor professional practice PhD um, about uh, two or three months before I moved home. So I retweeted it, not thinking anything of it, and then I was in the airport and Sergio rang me and he said, oh, no, how, how are we going? Because this was before the third Icoach Kids conference. So he's ringing about that, but then he said, oh, see, you know, have you seen the um, PhD? And I said, yeah. And so he said, you interested and I'm like ah, 
And a lot was happening. I was moving home. I was about to fly back to New York to pack. I said, listen, I'll tell you what, uh, give me the weekend and I'll let you know. So here's the order did. And as soon as he had planted a seed, and when a seed is planted in my head, I want to do something I'll do it. Whether people want me to do it or not, that's fine. Kira said, yeah, you have to do it. Just because of the structure of the course, it's the taught modules over the first year. Um, the fact of working with Sergio and my own research in terms of PhD, and I know you started one yourself. Yeah, yeah. Your supervisor is vitally important. And the fact that I, I knew my research would be on children and again, putting two and two together, and getting four, but I might get five and thinking, right, well, if I do it in children, Sergio's going to be me. Um, my supervisor and yeah. I knew that was going to happen anyway I didn't know where my research was going to go and it completely changed and it's still changing which is yeah. a good thing in fairness yeah 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 um, but the Anchorage Kids podcast came about because of the way the PhD is yes you have to do a thesis like normal but we can have project outputs so we can do like a normal PhD research papers great or we can have practical project outputs and a reduced thesis. So my project outputs were the podcast. And again, I was trying to get uh, trying to get ahead of Sergio because I knew he would probably bring out an Anchorage Kids podcast yeah, at yeah. some stage. So literally, I got my uh, one of the best friends, uh, John Woods, who done up uh, a Coaching Children with Old Mooney podcast logo. So really professional, and he's created that. So he sent me it, and I sent it on to Sergio, and I said, oh, I'm going to launch this. <laughs> sent me back. Sent me back. Oh, um, we could we could maybe do something here. So nice. came about then, uh, yeah. spoke to all the stakeholders and said, listen, would you be interested in doing the Echoes Kid podcast with Old Mooney? And I said, yes, of course. Because of, again, the capacity and what I had yeah. been involved with, all the people that I had contact with and that he had contact with as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a no-brainer, um, really. And yeah. so that was one of the project outputs. And there's going to be six episodes, roughly six episodes dedicated to just play. And I have one already up. It's episode five with um, Claire Daniels of the FA, the power of play, similar to this one, only a little bit different. Yeah. So the other five episodes are going to be specifically on play. Now, where that goes, I don't know. Yeah. The second project I put is going to be a, a playing sport framework um, just to help coaches in terms of what they could do. So kind of like a, a playing sport menu of activities of why you might do something, how it might impact in what you can do. Yeah. Now, that's a constantly changing document. Anybody who follows me on Instagram or Twitter will know that it started off in my notebook. It's, loads of notes and reflections and sense making about not, a, not only PhD, but work, family, yeah. chats, everything. Um, so that's kind of, and again, it's a flexible document. And then the last one is um, the plan sport workshop. So running a workshop, again, making, making sure that uh, all the research that I'm doing, all the readings that I'm doing is impacting on the workshop. And the framework is going to impact on the workshop and the focus groups with coaches is going to impact on the workshop. So yeah, again, yeah. it's going to be that kind of flexible um, document that's going to constantly change and workshop that's going to constantly change. But after it's finished, I'll be hoping that it'll be a workshop that we can use for coaches to assist them in their understanding of play and why play is important, 
how play is important and how it can impact on children, not only in children, but youth, adults, or um, older people, everybody. And it's not just children, but children are the main reason for my research. Um, because if you can work with a group of four and five-year-olds and you can coach them and you can enjoy coaching them, every other age group above that is easy. Yeah. You're not going to have to, well, you're, I'm hoping that you're not going to have to tie the laces of a 25-year-old or wipe the snots of a 25-year-old or so so that that element of the parent element of the grandmother or the, you know the class clown yeah is not there as much but my focus on play and again it's it's something that has evolved from my research from my first research proposal and again it's probably the it's the most challenging aspect that i have because i'm usually very focused in terms of what i want but then again, I come back to very open to chaos and yeah. not on organization and making sure that, okay, well, I'll try this to see what happens. Yeah. And I'll try this thinking I'll get here. And then all of a sudden, I'm on a spaghetti junction all the way somewhere completely different. But it's somewhere that I'm going that if I hadn't tried the first element, it wouldn't happen. So, and then that's, that's the beauty of working with children and coaching. You know, if you think you have everything, if you think you have everything, set and if you think you you know everything then you know nothing and, yeah you know and that that's again in terms of sergio he is a mentor and gary connor's a mentor um terence o'grillion is a huge mentor of mine uh, philip pierre yourself as well all the people that you know anybody you chat to, you know they're mentors yeah. and you're learning from them and you know but the fact that i have sergio um, and i know him so well involved in my PhD has made things much easier for me because I'm not yeah. academic. I enjoy reading, in fairness, I do enjoy reading and my confirmation of registration was recently, um, three, four weeks ago, and uh, Jim McKenna and Ian Cowburn were um, my two, um, two um, facilitators on that and it was great because of what I learned from them too in terms of how I can make things better, how I can gain more insight in terms of where I'm going with the research. And again, it was a different perspective. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where, you know, that's why the biggest challenge for myself now in terms of the PhD is because I'm in Ireland, I didn't get the last two um, uh, face-to-face uh, three-day blocks in Leeds. Yeah. And you can only do so much um, over, yeah. Over, yeah. over Zoom and over Microsoft Teams. Yes, going there, meeting people, and being able to attach work to somebody, and I find that very difficult. And you know, sometimes take on too much. And um, I'm just recently um, had a had a great season with uh, Shane Curran with Duro GA, and having Duro, and then coaching and working and ice um, and restrictions, and then PhD and readings, and you know this yourself, and being a new father as well yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's where you find the time. And again, it's it's just, you know, taking those 15, 20 minutes to read. But then can you yeah. can you gain further insights in terms of where, where the tensions are in the reading and try and think about, okay, well, oh, this is where I find this is really interesting. That's a huge nugget in terms of my own research, but also in terms of my own coaching, but also yeah. in terms of my own relationships. And again, there's something I'm sure that you're thinking about and um, finding out is that, you know your sense making and where you're, it's it impacts and everything. Yeah, it's, it has tentacles everywhere. You know, yeah. um, 
No, certainly the, the, the PhD is certainly, for me anyway, the biggest challenge of my career and, and academic path and everything like that. And you have to, like you say, you have to nearly embrace that uncertainty. And as my supervisor said to me, it's, it's certainly a marathon rather than a sprint and you don't know what direction it's going to go. And it's little bit by bit. And hopefully my supervisor doesn't hear me saying that. I taught many, many times in the first six months about this is not for me, <laughs> you know, and, and quitting and going, oh my God, what am I have to put myself into? But anyway. I think it goes back to kind of being a coach is, is taking those risks and having to go with something. And yeah. if it works great and you find something out, well, that's even better. It's, it's realizing that it's a journey, yeah. you know, and, and coaching yeah. is a journey and working with players and children is a journey. And that play journey that I'm on now is something I'm passionate about. I enjoy um, experience in, but it's something that I'm only scratching the surface of. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to finish just briefly with the last couple of things on on that concept of play and like the kind of the science or the, the thought process behind play. Because some people, when they hear play, they will just think of, well, that that's not applicable for an adult team. Like, we don't throw around balloons and stuff like that. So can you just speak about, first of all, the importance of play and why it works across the age groups, but also what are the different types of play? And I know you can, you can, you probably a lot to go through in there, but you know, just as some of the, the important things that, the, around the concept of play, I think. So, again, this is something that I'm constantly learning all the time. So my own, my own concept, my own understanding of play was you know, free play and unstructured play and structured play. Yeah. And those as play types when I first started uh, kind of doing all the readings. But again, in terms of sport specifically sport and play there's uh not as much research in terms of that area in terms of playing sport however there's a huge amount of research on terms of play and education learning through play mm. occupational therapy physical play yeah. um, social emotional how it, how it impacts on a child making friends how it impacts on their feelings um how it impacts on building resilience courage yeah. caring etc yeah. Then obviously the physical elements, so your fine motor skills and your gross motor skills. Yeah. Um, but one of the biggest things and kind of one of the areas of play, and especially in terms of my research, because it's involved in children, it's a human right. Um, mm. And it is in the UN Convention of the Child that it is play as a human right for children. Mm. So technically, if you look at things now, and especially in terms of COVID, but even in terms of the restrictions, that human right has been taken away somewhat compared to probably when we were younger. Yeah. So, and again, I go back to my COR and in terms of what I talked about, where I lived, there was a massive big green, big grass area, loads of houses um, around. When I was growing up, that was constantly full with people playing, children playing, boys, girls, and every age, playing football, be like, party, whatever it is, they play. Fast forward then to 10 years, I'm about 17, walking to school, I walk past it, and doing me AS levels and it's there was nobody playing before yeah. school. We wouldn't remember before school to be honest. Yeah. But after school especially and we were playing mock play boys and again I talked about earlier on starting one v one and it ended up being twenty v twenty. We refereed it, we coached, we were learning about tactical awareness, we were learning about attacking and defending and the play and went for the 
depths and everything else. But we didn't realize we were do, learning it. Um, and again, there was no coaches, there was no adults, it was us. So then when I think about play then is, and I talked about it a little bit earlier on, it shouldn't be up to adults to allow children to play. And again, if you allow children to play, tending you're still taking away their human rights, so they should be allowed to play anyway. Yeah. Um, but again, in, especially in organized sport, that element of learning the sport, learning the game, um, learning a position, learning different positions, that's adult-centric. Whereas again, it's the needs and wants of the child are very important. And the needs of the sport to the wants of the child can be very different. Yeah. Um, and what I want to try and find out in my research is, you know, what do coaches understand, you know, about playing, you know, how play can impact on the children, um, but also how play can impact on them as coaches, as adults, not only as coaches, but, you know, having that freedom and having that, you know, autonomy to have a go at something, yeah. try it, show me what you can do, have a go and you will know. You know yeah. how it feels, you know if you can do it or not, you know whether you can make it a little bit harder for yourself, a little bit easier. But you're building that environment, you're building that connection mm-hmm. with sport, but also, you know, a love of the game and you want them to, you know, play, help each other to find things out for themselves without telling them. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you can put them, wrap them in cotton wool isn't gonna work. You know, they're gonna have disappointments and play allows for that. You know, and that's that's where kind of the, the play aspect in terms of the types of play, and there's so many types of play. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's it's an area that I'm looking at now in terms of okay, well, what types of play do I include in my framework? Or what play what type play types do I include in the workshop? Yeah. Now, you're if me and you're playing a game here and we're doing one v one and I'm trying to get past you. Now, my play type, I might be worried more about my movement. So there you've locomotor play. Um, Whereas you might be kind of more thinking about, okay, how are you going to stop me? So in a way, you you have a little bit of imaginative and creative play. Yeah. Whereas I'm focusing on maybe a little bit of exploratory play. I'm going to maybe bounce to you to my right. You'll have to move across whatever way it works. But the different types of play kind of fit into each other in different yeah. aspects. So it's not just one of the things that um, kind of at the start of the research will say, okay, well, here's locomotor play. Here's what we can do for locomotor play. That's, that was the framework. For now, that's changed now because it's not just locomotor play. That's physical, but then it comes into language. So what is locomotor? You know, a train. So you're going from one place to the other. How can you get there? And that imagery comes in. So you have a little bit of fantasy play. And um, but then speech and language. So you have communicative play then. So you're talking to people, but also you're listening. So yeah. you have speech and language in that as well. Yeah. And then and then you have obviously the social and emotional. So the friendships and making sure that you know they're getting a, a good foundation for the sport, but also the environment that they're in, the understanding of why what you're asking them. And again, it comes back to questioning. So if you question them and they don't give you an answer, it doesn't mean they know the answer, don't know the answer. It might be because of how you ask the question. Or you might have asked a question and then a lot of coaches, they ask a question and they go, oh, silence. I have to finish the answer. I have to give them the answer. Mm-hmm. Silence is golden. Yeah. Absolutely golden. Yeah. And especially with adults, with children. Um, and the play aspect, again, because my research is on children, 
And Orla Farmer, who's done a lot of work in terms of the Nigeria's programme in relation to play and fun and enjoyment and learning, that all comes into it. So asking them a question is communicative play. It is an aspect of play because they're having to think, they're having to you know, think about what answer they're going to give. So there's your speech and language. Um, they're thinking about maybe, they could be thinking about giving a wrong answer. So that could be coming back to social emotional about the relationship with you. And they don't feel comfortable giving you an answer, no matter what that is. Um, one of the things that, um, in terms of the different types of players, because there's so many, it can confuse coaches a little bit. Um, and one of the one of the aspects that will, you know, what I'm looking towards is that whenever, uh, whenever you're failing on play or your sessions, it's important that not only the children but everybody feels appreciated. Um, you know, they feel they should feel that their opinion matters. And yeah. again, that comes back again to the Article Twelve. Yeah. So the Article Twelve of the Convention, um, UN Convention rights of the child is about children's voice being heard, asking them and getting their opinion. And Article 31 is the actual human right of play. They should be able to play. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's, I think for coaches, isn't it a case of, like you say there, of you start in a simple situation of build your foundation, give the kids a voice, give them opportunity to play, and then bit by bit you can add layers you know if you're thinking of for your club coach I know like there's some of the the Premier League soccer club academies now and in their warm-ups they'll have um, problem-solving games collaborative games uh, decision-making games and, and they're challenging them in different ways that for instance may have absolutely nothing to do with uh, soccer or professional football or maybe not even a ball, you know, there could be something completely different. And in ways you're developing their personality, aren't you? And again, like you're, you're, you're kind of touching there on, as you know yourself, the games for understanding, non-linear pedagogy, all that there stuff as well. You're creating an environment, you're making sure that people, again, feel appreciated and respected, but that they're making decisions. They have autonomy, that they, they're in the environment that will allow them to think about, okay, well, Here's a problem. How am I going to fix it? What am I going to do to fix that problem? Um, but also thinking about, well, why are we doing this? Why are we playing? Why is it important? Why should I, as a coach, bring in play? Yeah. And the biggest thing for me would be enjoyment. Not only for the kids, like a lot of the time, I would say to the kids, or sorry, I would say to the coaches at a workshop, the children and the players are guinea pigs. Yeah. Um, what do you try out? Is loads, it's trial and error. Yeah. You, know, you can have a lot of fun in terms of your own learning as a coach. Forget it. You can forget about the players and the children and the youth and the adult players. Having a go at, okay, I'm going to try this today just to see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then you reflect on that. And I think it's so important that because you're having that enjoyment, you're maximizing their learning, you're maximizing their enjoyment. And again, you're involving them, which yeah. is so important. You know, you're not telling them, Here's what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Because during the game, that's not going to happen. Once yeah. they cross that white line, once they cross that line of basketball, soccer, get a couple hurling, whatever it is, you can shout and ball all you want. Yeah. You're, you're not having any influence. And it's, it's just noise. Yeah. So preparing them, as I said, one of the things this is, and lovely quote that um, I'll put before, um, prepare the child for the path, not the path of the child. 
Yeah. Give them that um, responsibility that they're putting down their own tarmac or their own um, their own stones so that they can move forward and that they can improve. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's a the same. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a great sum, it's a great summary of the whole topic. I think it's a fascinating area. Uh, we'll keep a close eye on the research. Um, Owen, thanks very much for for coming on the show. I presume is it Twitter where people can get in contact and, and reach out to you, or what? What's the best way? Yeah, so Twitter be Twitter be handy if we want to DM me. My DMs are open, so work away. Um, I look forward to uh, interacting with people if they are. And again, Kieran, just in terms of myself, thank you for having me on. Really scratching the surface a wee bit, and congratulations on the new addition to the family. <laughs> as well as all the work you're doing with daily sports science, and um, I've enjoyed. You know how it's improved and how it, the journey of daily sports science not only yet but also yourself as well. So no, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, and 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 I appreciate it. Loves great, great getting you on. Make sure everybody go over to the podcast as well. Owns podcast is I Coach uh, Kids uh, podcast. You'll find it, I presume. I I found it on SoundCloud and Spotify, and and so you can find it on on all the platforms. Um, if you haven't already, for for ourselves please uh, go and subscribe on YouTube channel if you can, the Daily Sports Science, and give a little review and a, a rating on um, Apple Podcasts. I see we got a, a, a rating on of one out of five from somebody, so thanks very much to my older brother, Mark, for that rating. Um, if you get a chance, somebody just leave, leave a few reviews, and thanks very much to Rips.app as well, our, our sponsors. To, to, it enables us to keep these podcast going so on once again thank you very much and everybody out there thanks for listening